Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 19, Parenthood from 1989. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, a very special guest, Jordan Paul and Clark. Hello, Jordan. Hey. Have you seen this movie before? I've never seen this movie before, and I'm pretty sure it's one of those movies that my mom's been telling me to watch since I was a kid, and like I would never watch it just to spite her as a child, because she loves Steve Martin. And so finally I thought I would do it, and I liked it so much. Mike, have you seen this movie before? So I saw this once in its entirety in theaters when it came out. The whole family went and saw this one together back in the day. And I have not seen it since, but I thoroughly enjoyed it this time around. Had either of you seen either of the TV series? I didn't even know there was a TV series in 1990. I know the the more popular one was that ran for six seasons just ended a year or two ago. Have either of you seen either of the TV series? Because I have not. No, I haven't either. No, me neither. I actually forgot there was a show until you just mentioned it. It's been on my list to watch for a while. Uh, My sister just recently became obsessed with it and watched every episode. But when I was doing research for this, I didn't realize that it was also a TV series in 1990 that ran just for one year. So that was sort of a little bit surprising to me. Was anyone in the 1990 one? That's a really good question. I also didn't know that one existed. We just did the Bill and Ted episode, and that got its own TV show as well. So it's kind of funny that uh, there's two Keanu movies that kind of spun off into a series. But it's very unusual, I think, right, for a show to get two chances like this, almost like two decades apart. Well, I think that it makes sense for this kind of movie because, or this kind of show, this kind of story, whatever, just because there's so many different ways you could take it. And it's also, I don't want this to really sound like a knock on the movie, but like the story they're telling isn't necessarily like super unique or original. It's just sort of personal takes on the things that everybody goes through. And so you could sort of give it as many chances, sort of as many reboots as you want, and just keep doing it until it sticks in one way or another. Uh, Yeah, I agree. I think that's part of what's good about the movie is that it does pretty good character building um, around this family. But there's not really any story, really. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not like a single narrative or anything. It's just about these people and their lives. I agree. It's definitely mostly about characters and combinations of characters and how different characters bounce off each other. And there is sort of this endless possibility with that, that, yeah, it does serve itself well for a TV show. I also got sort of like a Robert Altman kind of vibe from it, too, with just like the scope of the movie itself. We follow multiple stories that kind of weave together. Well, not necessarily stories, but multiple lives and multiple families that cut together. And Jordan, before I forget, before we get too far off track to answer your question, was anybody in the original series? Ed Begley Jr. was the Steve Martin role. Hmm. There's also Thora Birch, who I recognize, and then David Arquette, and then some guy named Leonardo DiCaprio was in it. So that's (laughs) sort of interesting. Yeah, that was a good cast, or at least it was a cast that went on to do something. So this movie, the reason we're doing it, obviously, is for Keanu, and Keanu's not in it that much. Let's break down sort of the genealogy, I guess. So there's Grandma and Grandpa, and then they have four kids, and one of those kids is Steve Martin, or is there a generation in between? No, because yeah. there's Grandma, who's like the oldest. Yeah. Well, that's great-grandma. And that's... But, she's, but she's Grandma. I think she's Grandma. She's like Steve Martin's, like, yeah. that generation's Grandma, so they call, they call her Grandma. Correct. I think she's just Grandma to everybody. Yeah. So now... Are her kids, like, so there's, like, a gap missing between her and, like, the Steve Martin generation. Who is the dad with the nice car, with the old fancy car? Is that Steve yeah. Martin? That's Steve Martin's dad, right? Yeah, he's the dad of yeah. the four kids, the two girls and the two men, right? Okay. 
And so his mom is grandma? That's his mother-in-law. No, okay. he had a wife also. Like, Steve Martin had a mom. Right. Well, in the movie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, like, I missed it, but, like, there's just so many people. <laughs> yeah, yes. she was kind of invisible and, like, maybe on purpose because that dad was kind of such a strong character. But she was definitely in it and definitely pushed to the side several times. Yeah, Jason Robards is, like, the main patriarch. And his wife, she's, yeah, she's sort of sidelined for the most part. And then great-grandma is his mother-in-law, and then he's got the four main kids. And then Steve Martin has three kids. Yes. And a fourth on the way. Three and a half kids, yeah. Three and a half kids. And so Steve Martin's sister is played by Diane Weist, right? And she is Julie's mom. And Julie is dating and then marries Todd, who is Keanu. And her other son is Gary. Played by Leaf Phoenix. Leaf Phoenix, when he was Leaf Phoenix. What's weird about these names, and not that this is anything of any significance, but Gary has two R's and Todd only has one D. I wrote that down also. I watched the subtitles and I I wrote that down too. I was talking to Mike before this, and he basically said, or you know, he said that it's like Ron Howard said to Keanu, "Hey, you're going to be Ted from Bill and Ted, but we can't call you Ted, so we'll just call you Todd." And that's why, you know, maybe that's why there's only one D. But I don't know why Gary has an extra R, except unless they have like you know a certain number of consonants to hit across the name spectrum, and want to just toss another consonant in there somewhere. It feels like they gave them these traditional names, and then they were like, "Oh, but it's it's like the '80s. We we can't like we can't just spell it like that." Yeah, they sort of had to give it some kind of spin. So the man of the hour, the man that we're all here to see, the one with a name that's not super plain, that's just got a little bit of a spin, is Todd, Todd Higgins. And he is, like Mike said, basically Ted, right, from Bill and Ted? Yeah. Instead of being infatuated with rock and roll, he's pretty much just infatuated with fast cars, driving fast, and sometimes painting houses. I was sort of waiting for him to show up, and then he shows up, and his appearance is is pretty great. I think that it's one of the better entrances that we've seen, that he just slides out from under the bed wearing just tidy whities because he's almost been found out in their little, like, high school love affair, right? That part made me a little bit uncomfortable at first. I got used to it, but... What made you uncomfortable? When he slid out and was so naked in his underwear, I felt really strange about watching two teenagers be so sexual with each other. But maybe it also was a Keanu thing, because he's so over the top. He's the first character in this movie that's, like, a little bit cartoony. It took me a minute to get used to. Man, your mother can talk. Gosh. She hates my ass. It's such a cute ass. (laughs) Last night she heard the moaning. She thought it was me. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to try and control yourself, Todd. With you, it's impossible. Mm. Yeah, he's even more extreme than Steve Martin, you know? They don't really share any screen time together, but I think if they did, Keanu may upstage him in this movie just with, like, his expressions and just the way he bends in this film. It's funny, like, this is sort of like the sex house, right? Like, this house is where all the sexcapades in the story are going to kind of go down. And, you know, why not just introduce it right off the bat and uh, have it all out there? He's there for, like, sex appeal. Not that it really is super important to the story, but do you get the sense that Julie's in high school, right? And Mm -hmm. it seems like he's maybe a little bit older, like maybe he's just some kid who graduated? Because I don't think he's in high school, right? Or is he? 
It didn't seem like he was, because he was home sometimes when she wasn't home, and she was telling him to get a job and stuff. I got the impression that maybe he was like a year older than her, but he was by no means an adult. What I like about this role, and it's something I've been complaining to Mike just about every episode that he's been a high schooler, is that it seems like he's always the same. It feels like this movie almost pigeonholes him in that same way. But then what's nice about it is that he's given this opportunity to have like a new kind of role by the end of the movie, like this father figure to leave Phoenix, which is kind of a cool, unique thing that he hasn't really gotten a chance to do so far in Keanu Club. Yeah, he goes from a really immature teenager to this mature father himself, you know, not just a father figure, but he becomes a father by the end of the movie. And you really get the sense that his character has experienced growth and will genuinely change too. So I read that on Keanu as well. You know, I give him, I don't think that's easy to play because he doesn't have a lot of screen time and I think he pulls it off. What I really liked about this character and really about all the characters in this movie is that Like with Keanu, he enters as the same character that we've seen him do so many times before, like kind of doofy, kind of stupid, kind of knows that he is, you know, like not really doing anything. And even before he grows and changes, he's given the opportunity to actually show that he's more than that. Yeah, I would argue also that he does grow and change and become a father by the end. But like when... He first bonds with Leaf Phoenix. He's still kind of the same dummy that he was. And it's really Diane Weist who points out to him how valuable he already is. And I really liked that a lot. I like it. Yeah, she she definitely like keeps him in check, right? Because I mean, like a little bit later in the movie, when we find out that Julie is pregnant with Keanu's kid, that Diane Weiss doesn't agree with this marriage that like just sort of happened out of the blue. But she knows that if her daughter's gonna have any chance of, like she says at some point in the movie, going to college or really making anything of her life, she needs Keanu to sort of be in the picture and to step up and man up. And so I like that she she sort of keeps him in control just because like that's what she feels like she has to do. It works really well, like you were saying, Jordan. I really liked when she got them back together and Gary was like, why'd you do that? And she was like, well, Julie wants Todd. And I might not agree with her, but the best thing I can do is get you guys what you want, which I may not always agree with, but it was really, really nice. And it made me cry. Oh, well, the whole like last hour of this movie made me cry. The Diane Weiss character is, I think she's portrayed as being a pretty great mom, even though she may not consider herself one, because at first she kind of has all these rules and boundaries, and and then at one point she just kind of gives in, or, or it seems like she gives up, but by doing that and giving Keanu and Julie, or I should say Julie and Todd, the freedom of living at her house, being married, and doing whatever they want, as long as she can kind of keep an eye on them, maybe there's a chance that something good will come out. She, like, she just has the sense that it's better for them to be together than apart. I just think like once Julie is brought home for panhandling, she realizes I, I can't be the mean mom. I should just be supportive. These are things that are beyond my control. So instead of reacting in a negative manner, just try and be positive, even if it's not what I agree with. It's for my children, and that's what's important. I really like her relationship with Gary, too. Even from the beginning of the movie, every time he walked in a room, he would walk by really fast, and she would just go, Gary! Like, she was just so, <laughs> she was so happy and so excited. Really doing the wrong thing 
to like try to get to know him and understand what's going on but she was doing the only thing she knew how to do and she just tried so hard and I laughed every time I was going to ask a question to say, like, who do you think is sort of the, the most well-adjusted parent by the end of the movie? But I think that they're all probably, I mean, the point of the movie is, like, they're all just doing their best for the most part. Or by the end of the movie, they're sort of doing their best. I think Mary Steenburgen was really, truly the best. She was, like, the most even-keeled. For the most part, I think if you had to sort of pin it down, the main family would be Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen. They're the ones we follow the most, even though it's about this entire extended family it sort of focuses on them and then we branch out and i do think by the end they don't need the most work necessarily at first it doesn't seem like they're in the most trouble but by the end you're like oh they they kind of are in the most trouble and yeah i think they go through the most and come out the other end the best but it doesn't really seem like that until the very end when steve martin's quitting his job and his wife's pregnant and things really start to snowball quickly for them while we're on the subject of them, it's kind of amazing how Steve Martin looks the same now as he did in 1989, right? Isn't it? <laughs> he really and does, some... and so does Diane Weiss. And somehow, I don't know how, Mary Steenburgen is more attractive today than she was in 1989. I think it's because she has better hair now. They That's all, probably They all true. have better hair now. I think they're just daywalkers. They're vampires in disguise. There's something going on with their blood. When Keanu first came on the screen... I didn't like him. He wasn't a good actor in this movie. I think they did a good job building this character. And by the end of the movie, I was on board. And I was like, great, I see how this guy fits in. But he was so over the top. And I find him to be that way in a lot of things. And he's put in things now where that works for him. But so I guess the question I want to ask is, is he a good actor in this? Is he a good actor? I don't think so. I think that he's at a really difficult stage in his career where he's being cast on all these things to be that specific type of role, even when the script on a whole is better, like in this case, than some of the other stuff he's done. I think he might, I don't, I don't, this, this, I don't want to sound like critical, but like, I think he might, and I'm just sort of guessing here, he might get like lazy or complacent, you know what I mean? And be like, oh, I'm playing another one of these kind of like goofball, screw-up, outsider weirdos, and so I, I'm already sort of in my wheelhouse, I don't really need to take risks. And I think that where we're going to get into some really interesting things a little bit down the road is like when we get into a movie like Point Break, where he could still sort of play that same type of role, but he has to act like a grown-up. You know what I mean? Like, it's sort of as this movie goes on, I think it almost in a way kind of parallels his future career where he like knows he has to grow up and sort of has to break character. Well, I think he's typecast at this point in his career. He's just, he's known more for being Ted and just that surfer dude. And even if you go before Ted into the night before and some of the earlier stuff, you know, he's played a very similar type like this, but he's also played smarter characters as well. You know, normal people, not these kind of wild childs. I think that's sort of the issue here is that he's hot right now in Hollywood and they're trying to figure out what movies can we fit him into. This is a big ensemble. He'll have a couple scenes here where he can do his thing. This movie in itself is kind of like a safe film. It goes to certain places, but it never really, really goes over the edge. You know, there's stuff like gambling debts and vibrators and things like that, but it never gets really tasteless or anything. So perhaps he was just kind of asked to come in and do this. And he's fine in this movie. I can't really tell you who would be better in this role, but he's not doing anything exceptional that we haven't seen before. And I think that's just part of doing Keanu Club is 
having seen everything he's done, we've seen this before, but the general audience might not have. You know, you might get a parent who took one of their kids to see Bill and Ted, and then they drag the whole family to this because not only is it Ted, but there's Steve Martin, who they know, and Rick Moranis, who's hot right now. And he kind of fits the ensemble. But yeah, to answer your question, I just think he's he's okay. I think he's a good actor, but I don't know that he's really going too far with this role. Do you guys find that, because you've watched a lot more movies than me now, the last one I watched was Flying, so that's what I'm working with, and I've seen Bill and Ted too. Is he a good actor in other stuff that you saw before this? I think it really comes down to the movie and the script. I think that when the movie around him is better, he sort of elevates his performance. But I think it's sort of weird and frustrating. We've had this conversation on other podcasts we've done lately. It's that a lot of what he seems to be doing is very similar to one another, and it's difficult to really judge. We're entering the stage of his career where he's going to start doing better stuff and bigger stuff and different stuff, and it's exciting. Like Bill and Teddy's playing sort of the same type of guy he's played in a lot of movies, but it's sort of the best version of that because it's built for that character, Mm -hmm. as opposed to writing him in as a caricature of that type of role. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I'd also say that kind of saved movies for me, you know, just being in them and their performance, like The Prince of Pennsylvania comes to mind. That was a really hard one to get down, but that Keanu was in it, I feel like it gave it something to watch and enjoy about it. And I think that he does that with a lot of the earlier stuff too, because to be quite honest, just a lot of those things aren't exactly well produced to the extent that we're used to nowadays in this century. It's just, And a lot of that stuff was also shorter TV type movies as well so now like joey said we're really starting to get into his theatrical part of his career i think from now on we're really going to be able to tell if he's got it or not i just think he's so fascinating because he's really not very good in any of these beginning movies and even in some of the later ones i would argue i don't like him in them because he's an amazing actor i like them in him because i like him because he's so different and because he's so memorable and he has this star thing that we're all attracted to it's just so interesting like i couldn't even think of an actor to compare him to because he's so different well what's sort of interesting i think like the the movies he's most known for you know like the matrix he works in that movie i think he's loved in that role because it's playing so against type i would say yes and no like the way he delivers lines in the matrix is not different from the way he delivers lines in anything else. He's still the same. But yeah, I guess the context around him and the scenarios that he's in are so different for him. And it works so well. I mean, we'll get to it when we get to The Matrix, but that role kind of blends the two things I believe he's best at. So he plays like this guy who's one step behind really well, like like the Ted role or the Todd role. And then later on, he's going to be known to be a real good action star, too. And I think Neo really combines those very well, sort of a yin and yang, if you will, where he plays this guy who really is kind of clueless, doesn't know what's going on, and he's really great at action and stuff. Those, I feel, are his two strengths, and I think that's why that role works really well for him. I wonder if that's part of the appeal, like, just thinking about it now. It's almost like we want to watch a dumb guy be smart. That's what Neo is, right? Well, when we get to Chain Reaction, also, he plays a physicist, I believe. So I can't wait to get back to that. Well, I don't know if it's really like a dumb guy being smart, but sort of like an everyman becoming something special. Yeah, dumb is maybe not the right word, but not the typical person who we would think of as being super smart. 
there's something kind of refreshing about that, but also something that's just off because you don't get that a lot, I feel, in movies. Like, too often is the character or the protagonist too perfect. And when you just hire someone like Keanu, just because of his look and his attitude and the way he carries himself, like, you know that character isn't going to be like that in a way. So, I don't know. I kind of feel like he has that going for him. I think circling all the way back around, Jordan, to your original question, I think that this is sort of, like Mike just said, you know, you're, you're casting him in this role for like this specific thing, but I think that this is one of the better examples of this type of character just because everything around him elevates it. Well, right. He's so well supported by the rest of the cast, and they do such a good job of writing his character to really, truly belong in this story that he's set up to succeed at it no matter how well he acts it or doesn't act it. And I also feel like maybe, Mike, I don't know if this is fair to say or not, but I feel like when he's in a bigger movie, he almost like rises to the challenge a little bit from the outsider. I mean, I don't know what he's actually thinking or what anybody's thinking, but like this movie was like a $26 million major studio known director, writers who have come up with like, you know, several major scripts already. There's a difference there when you're on that set versus just some, like, you know, he just did American Playhouse. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that he's the kind of guy who's going to give a half-assed performance in one and then really commit in the other. I would like to think that he's sort of giving everything his all, but I also think he's probably trying a little bit harder and, like, giving more of an effort here. I think that might mostly have to do with Ron Howard, the director. You know, he's just really great at lots of threads hanging and never really dropping any of them. And I think maybe it's Ron Howard's direction of Keanu in this that, like you said, gives him a really good version of this character that he plays. Like, this is one of his types. And I I just kind of think back to the times and the 90s being like a young, fresh, hot actor, like all the attention and stuff. It's got to be a lot of pressure. And I think for a movie like this, with the the cast the size that it is, he's going to get a lot of exposure. So I think that, yeah, he did bring it a little more than usual. And I think a lot of that might have to do with the director, in fact, because a lot of the stuff that we've seen in him earlier, those movies like are kind of flat or uneven or they're tonally, they're all over the place and stuff. He's always doing okay, but... Aside from, like, Bill and Ted, he's never really been this vibrant and sort of alive and kind of jumping off the screen as much. It's true. Like, this movie for him, I think, is his first... He's not serious in it, but it's it's a real movie. It's a big movie with these big heavyweights behind it and in it. And what a cool set to be on as a young actor, I would imagine. The only other movie, Jordan, that would sort of fall into that criteria in terms of, like, the actors who are around that he's done so far is Dangerous Liaisons. But he's, like, barely, barely... Like, to say that he's not really in this movie, like, he's really not in that movie. I think that with that kind of... The production values on that and that being an Academy Award-winning movie and the stakes, again, for that being higher, I think that if he was given more to do in that movie, we would have seen a little bit more there, too. But you're right, Joe, like this is the 19th episode, and in the first like 20 movies, there's only been maybe, unless I'm missing any, Mike, I mean, there's been like Youngblood and River's Edge and Bill and Ted, like he's Dangerous Liaisons, Bill and Ted, and this. Like, like five out of 20, like most of what he's done is just sort of like this low-budget independent stuff. 
possibly the success of liaisons and bill and ted may have led to this role dangerous liaisons like you say another big cast but he's not really in it this one big cast a modern day drama not his first dramatic film but like the first big theatrical dramatic role because nobody's looking at american playhouse or nobody's looking at permanent record and being like oh i want that kid in my movie because like even though he's not necessarily bad in those roles, it's hard to really get a sense of him. I think what you're saying is true. Like in Dangerous Liaisons, like you see this very defined character, even if it doesn't necessarily fit that world really well, like as we talked about with Tobin on that episode. Like you can see that in a bigger budget movie where he sort of is a little bit different, you can say, okay, I want to see more of that. And I think you're right that that might have been, it could have been, I mean, who knows, but that could have been why he was casting this, that it's one of the very few roles that we've seen so far for him where he would have had mainstream attention thrown his way. Yeah, and he did hold his own, you know, as much as he could in that film, and he was up against big names. Because, like, what's sort of interesting is to compare this and compare Keanu and these types of roles to, like, Nicolas Cage, where he was doing things that were so radically different, and you could have watched any one of his movies and been like, oh, or, like, you see, like, any two of his movies and see, like, the dynamic difference from one role to the other and be like, oh, I want that guy in my next movie. And it seemed like the only times he really ran into hiccups in his career, or at least early on, and I think he do something like Time to Kill is when he sort of was his own worst enemy and did something like Vampire's Kiss where he, like, went against people's wishes and sort of did his own thing. Here, it just seems like Keanu is noticeable for his goofiness, but it's not noticeable in a way that you're like, oh, I want that in my movie necessarily. Yeah, I just feel like watching him, there's something about him that you want to have this presence fit somehow in your film. And it feels like they haven't quite gotten the formula right for him yet until Bill and Ted's and Parenthood exactly. Like his previous work, some of it he really works in and some of it he really sticks out in. And I think he keeps getting work and he keeps doing stuff is because he's got this presence and you're like, oh, if we could just find the right thing for him he'd really connect dangerous liaisons was sort of a misfire for him but it did get him known and he did do bill and ted's and i feel like that was a great connection and that was sort of the first of his really big aha moments in hollywood where they're like okay like this guy can do this role let's have him do this role for like a decade and i think just unfortunately he'll get stuck doing this over and over again for a while and you know it'll depend on the filmmaker the script and his supporting cast to see whether or not it'll be a good version of it or a bad version of it so now jordan a question for you going along with what mike just said as someone who hasn't seen all these Keanu roles and has only seen, you know, say three movies or whatever up to this point in his career, is seeing him in Bill and Ted or seeing him in this movie, like say you were making a movie, would you want him in your movie regardless or would you need to like sort of have that specific role? Do you feel like people are looking at him and seeing him in this movie as this sort of wacky grown-up kid or like big kid who morphs into this father because he has to? Like, do you see that as like the, the type of talent that you could put in any role in your movie you're like are you thinking i need him for a specific thing and like if that if my movie doesn't have that i don't know if i'm gonna be able to cast him in it no if i had only seen like the beginning of his career or like the three movies that i had seen you could never convince me that his career is gonna go where it's gonna go he just is so typecast and he's so always the same person that just doesn't have very much staying power you know i guess until it does (laughs) But I think he's probably he's probably a really special case. 
And that's part of why I think he's so interesting and why I started asking all these questions. Just like, why? Why did this work for him? Why did this get him to where he is now? And I think this movie is actually a really good illustration of why. Because he is this character that we've seen before. And he is backed up by other spectacular actors and, you know, a good director and good writing. But that shouldn't discount that he actually does bring something to the part that makes it work in the movie. And he did that. He had help, but he did that. So maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's some dumb kid who had the same career as Keanu in the 80s, but he only made three movies and then he was gone because whatever Keanu has that he brought to this part, that guy didn't have. Because I think at least in this movie, and I'm probably going to be insulting her as an actress, but the actress who plays Julie... Martha Plimpton from Goonies. Martha Plimpton. Yeah, so, I mean, she's had a pretty successful career. I mean, she's been on, she's still acting now. She's been on a whole bunch of TV shows. I don't think she's really giving him a ton to play off here. And so I think that while there's people around him that are doing a lot and sort of giving him things to work with, I think considering most of his scenes are with her, at least in the early going, I think to sort of draw stuff out of that performance is impressive on some front. I found her to be pretty accurate as a teenage girl. She was, like, really good at kind of yelling and, like, walking out the door, (laughs) and I believed her. I think that the amount of depth that she brought and that Keanu brought were about appropriate for whatever age they were supposed to be. I believed that. Yeah, I think unfortunately for her character, she kind of got reduced to a gimmick to a degree. Like every time she got in trouble or broke up with Todd, the first time she's like, we're married, I'm your wife. And the second time she's like, I'm pregnant. Her scenes would end with these big reveals about their marriage. What I did like is that every time I started forgetting, the movie reminded me she was still in high school, she was a teenager, and the dynamic of their relationship isn't quote unquote normal, you know, like there's a taboo about it. Yeah, and I did think they had good chemistry, too, you know? I mean, they're not really given a lot to really do. Like, she yells at her mom, and they yell at each other, and other than that, they're making out most of the movie. So I feel like they were playing off each other pretty well. Because I said earlier that when they first were in bed together, when he comes out from under a bed, I was, like, uncomfortable. I can't pinpoint what it is. It's something about, like, he still kind of looks like a little boy, and it's, like, these two teenagers being really sexual with each other. It might also be something about their chemistry that just made me feel weird, but I also still think that's appropriate for me to feel that way watching two teenagers. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I do think if you look at Martha Plimpton's chemistry with Dan Weiss, who played her mom, I thought they were so, so, so good together, and they made me laugh, and they made me cry. I think that's the whole thing. Like They're good together. Diane Weist and Martha Plimpton are really good together. But to me, the Keanu character doesn't really come alive until he's really hanging out with Joaquin Phoenix. And maybe it's just because I've seen him in so many different things, and I'm sort of tired of him being that burnout, druggy. you know what I mean? Like the, the type of guy that we've been talking about this whole episode. But like seeing him in this new role and sort of being like this cool older brother or father figure to Joaquin or to Lee Phoenix, that's when he really sort of captures my eye in this movie and being like, oh, like he's really got something going on here. Well, and I think that's exactly what this movie intended was like you thought Keanu was just going to be this bum hanging around the house and Diane Weiss didn't really like him, but she kept him around because she felt like she was doing the right thing or whatever. And then he turns out to have this whole other purpose that's so, so important. 
Ron Howard tries to detedify him throughout the movie to a degree. It doesn't work entirely for Keanu's image, but it works well for the character, you know? And we get to this part in the middle when you realize he kind of has a grasp on the world. Like, he just explains to Lee Phoenix, it's just masturbating, man. Like, you know, basically, <laughs> like, everybody does it. You're not a freak. And Gary, growing up in a house full of women, being abandoned by his own father, really doesn't have anyone to turn to. And just image-wise... He's almost more of an older brother than a father figure, you know, at this point. I think that's great because that helps the Gary character open up and accept not just Todd, but his mom again and his sister and his biology teacher into the family. And it's really this moment of growth when he connects with Diane Weist. A few months ago, Gary got his first boner. You know what that is? If memory serves. Oh, great. Anyway, since then, he's been, uh, slapping the salami. No offense. No. He was afraid there was something wrong with him, you know? Like he was a pervert or something. I told him that's what little dudes do. We've all done it. That made him happy. I guess a boy Gary's age really needs a man around. Yeah, well... Mm. Depends on the man. I had a man around. He used to wake me up in the morning by flicking lit cigarettes at my head. Hey, asshole, get up and make me breakfast. You know, Miss Buckman, you need a license to buy a dog or drive a car. Hell, you need a license to catch a fish. But don't let any butt-reaming asshole be a father. And I think what works really well in terms of him in this movie is that he's still able to do that scene where he's, you know, he just had the talk with Gary and he's sort of breaking it down to his mom, like what they talked about. But he still is able to do it in that way that like only someone like Keanu can. He's just like, okay, like, do you know what a boner is? And she's like, yeah, I think I remember. But like just the way he delivers the line, he's so earnest about it. I want to make sure that she knows exactly what we're talking about, but I don't want to like assume anything. So I want to make sure like I'm going to break this down like thing by thing. I think that's his big thing. I think we've used that word in other episodes, if I remember right, Mike, is that he's just so earnest about everything. He's just genuine. And that even though he's typecast here, there's like this underlying sweetness about him, that he's just a good guy, and that his characters, to some extent, are always likable just because he plays them with empathy. Like, he's not like playing these guys like really for a joke, even though it is sort of written intentionally so as kind of like a one-dimensional or two-dimensional character, he brings this life and this empathy to them and sort of opens them up to something more and something better. Yeah, I think there's a certain skill to that, too, to having this guy who's seemingly a, an idiot, but being able to have that guy turn around and then actually kind of be wise about things, you know, in his way. And I think that's interesting about Keanu is that he's able to channel this character really well. And I think that's a really difficult role. I think this might even have been like the audition scene, but this is definitely like Keanu's big scene. And I think the audience kind of stands up and they go, whoa, okay, I prejudged this guy. I had him all wrong. There's a lot to talk about with the movie. What sort of makes it difficult and also really easy to talk about the movie on a whole is that there's not really like a narrative. There's sort of little snippets, right, about Steve Martin and trying to get a promotion at work or Rick Moranis teaching his daughter how to be like this super genius. Like there's not really like a through line that carries everything through the movie. And so it makes the movie really watchable. Like once you figure out sort of what they're doing, 
I was sort of frustrated for a little bit that there wasn't really a narrative to follow. I was sort of hoping that they would all collectively build towards something. But once I figured out that that wasn't going to be the case, I was okay with it. And that's what sort of makes this movie like really easy to talk about on a grander scale, but also kind of difficult because it's, it's like, like there's not like, oh, we can follow this from A to Z. It's just sort of like at the beginning of the movie where people are and then to the end of the movie where just everybody has babies. Yeah, I feel like the best way to talk about this movie is how we just did it with Keanu, which is kind of take a look at individual performances and individual relationships. And if we really truly did that for this movie, we'd be here for like a week. (laughs) I wrote down at one point that like a psychoanalyst could have a field day with this movie because there's like when Rick Moranis' wife just sort of collapses into her closet and just starts secretly. (laughs) I love that part. You know. I'm just like, oh, like, there's so much wrong with all these people. And, like, it feels real. It feels a little bit heightened for, like, comic effect in this movie. But it also feels really real about not things that are wrong with these people, but sort of how they cope with this life that they don't necessarily want. Yeah, everybody in this movie needs therapy to one degree or another. And and I just like the way it starts, too, because it really sets up the mood really well. You have young Steve Martin is left alone at a baseball game with one of the ushers on his birthday, and he starts talking to him like an adult, and then you realize the real Steve Martin's daydreaming. And then it's like, okay, he's at the ballpark with his family, and he's just completely disconnected with them. And it follows through his psychosis, and then his siblings, and then their wives and husbands. By the end, I don't know if they don't need therapy anymore, but at least it kind of <laughs> seems like they all realize we're not perfect. And this may not be the lives we want, but it's the lives we have, and they're lives worth living as long as we're living them together. Yeah, and more importantly, like it might not be the ideal life, but like they all chose this life for a reason. That even though Rick Moranis' wife might be frustrated with his insistence on like following like this plan that they set to the letter... Even though she wants to leave him at one point, she realizes that, oh, he's still a good guy. I still love him. He still loves me. We have a kid together. It's not that bad. That's, that's sort of the moral of this movie. Like, things aren't that I bad. I think the movie is about control and control as a parent, mostly, because everyone in this movie is a parent or becomes a parent eventually or is one of the children. And at the start of the movie everyone's kind of acting as if they have it under control and we watch that kind of fall apart and when we see them be the most successful it's not when they're trying to control anything it's when they're looking at what's actually happening and doing the best that they can to deal with what the reality of their lives are and that's when they get the best outcomes is when they kind of just chill and let it happen yeah if they just play it cool like the little boy's name in the movie Cool. Cool is such a such a weird name for a kid, but also sort of great. And that poor kid, he sort of gets the short end of the stick. I mean, but I I guess at the end of the day, he is going to be engulfed by this loving family, even if his father is kind of a terrible (laughs) scumbag. And it's also an opportunity for Steve Martin's father to be the dad that he should have been. Like a second chance to raise a kid right. Yeah, we see him break down and we see him have emotions that he obviously never had when his kids were younger. So maybe it's an opportunity for him to do something about that. 
Yeah, that's when you know in the movie things are really getting heavy if Jason Robard's character is coming to Steve Martin for help. <laughs> Steve Martin's like, oh my God, it's like, the you know, did hell freeze over? It's like the one thing that would never happen. I cried during that part too. You're well, such a girl. I am such a girl. And also, like, I take care of kids for a living, you know, not for long periods of time, but I teach small children. When I teach them, I do try to maintain, or I try to maintain a balance between, like, I am the adult here and I need to be in control of what's happening right now. But, like, every child to me has something to give and they have whatever they walked in the room with. And I don't want to squash that. I really, really don't. So it's this balance that I'm constantly trying to find as a teacher of letting them shine and letting them grow, but also to maintain boundaries around that. And I obsess about it and they're not my kids. So I can't even imagine what it must be like (laughs) to have actual children that are yours. Yeah, I'm just glad that when I played Little League, I didn't have any traumatic experiences where I didn't catch the fly ball that lost the entire game for everybody. It also made me think everyone probably has these moments, right, that, Mm -hmm. like, kind of defined your childhood, either positively or negatively, probably mostly negatively. For me, those are the easier ones to remember. And, like, it makes me think about those things. I wonder if my parents knew at the time or even noticed that that was even a thing that was happening you know because Mm -hmm. as a kid something can feel so huge and no one else will even see it well you can also i mean this is going to get off on a little bit of a tangent but you can also see that like in this movie for instance like i'm gonna compare it to something else in a second but like in this movie it's like this learning experience that we don't see it but like between the time that he drops the pop-up at second base and then catches it at the end of the, the movie to sort of win the game or win the championship or whatever in between those two, Steve Martin has apparently gone out in the backyard and thrown him like thousands of fly balls. Like, doesn't Mary Steenburgen yeah. say like, "You did this for him"? Like, you were like, you were there for him. You compare that to something like Horace and Pete, where you have Uncle Pete, like you know, rubbing it in Horace's face about how he had this miserably humiliating little league experience, and it all comes down to sort of like the family around you and that even though like that's like a real extreme example of terrible terrible parenting but here it's like the the family and the world around this kid that even though it's just like this defining moment that like he's embarrassed by and that the one game like he screwed up and like got everybody mad at him his family was there for him and he was able to sort of rebound in this positive good way what i think makes this movie work really well is everybody's story concludes kind of like that in a way in the fact that they go through a trial you know and i think that's sort of the point is that life is just a series of these trials we're always going to miss the fly ball but we're also going to be able to you know keep your eye out for the opportunity to catch it next time oh it's like what the grandma said like about the roller coaster you know when i was 19 grandpa took me on a roller coaster up down up down oh What a ride. I always wanted to go again. You know, it was just interesting to me that a ride could make me so, so frightened, so scared, so sick, so, so excited and, and so thrilled all together. Some didn't like it. They went on the merry-go-round. That just goes around. Nothing. I like the roller coaster. You get more out of it. I like that. What I really liked about that roller coaster scene, it's such an obvious metaphor, and I was just like, oh, it's it's this kind of movie, where she's like, you know, I got on a roller coaster, and it went up and down and up and down, but I like a roller coaster. 
And what I really liked about this movie, and sort of, it's not like I was on the fence at that point, but I was like, I'm not exactly sure where on the spectrum of hokiness this movie's going to fall. And I was like, oh god, like this is like this is what we're like. This is the big lesson of the movie. Like marriage is a, a roller coaster. But what I loved was Steve Martin immediately mocks it. And he's just like, oh great, like the roller coaster metaphor. And it's just like him just sort of as like an audience surrogate, like okay, like that was mm-hmm. too on the nose. We sort of need to swat it down a little bit. I really appreciated that. Yeah, a minute ago I was really confused about life, and then Grandma came in with her wonderful and affecting roller coaster story, and now everything's great again. I think what even made that a little bit better was the next scene at the school play where things are going out of control because his youngest son runs up on stage and ruins the play. They make it seem like he's on a roller coaster and like he can't handle it at first and he's really scared. But then he just sits back, relaxes and starts laughing and enjoying the situation because there is no control. It is like a roller coaster. So it's kind of funny that he instantly mocks it but then experiences it himself too so the movie sort of does like a double plus there i'm glad that you brought up that scene at the end because i wanted to mention it that this is yet another keanu club movie where there's a school play i mean Keanu's not in the school player it's not for his age range but there's so like this has got to be five <laughs> or six movies now where there's a school what play. other ones had school plays oh god like which ones really haven't i mean permanent Mine record didn't. had it bill and ted had it at the end they had their you know the presentation on the stage at the end I feel like there's other ones. What what else are we missing, Mike? There's been more than Uh, that. Babes in Toyland felt like one big play. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Life Underwater was a play. Dangerous Liaisons was a play. Uh, It was a book and then a play. But there was no play in the movie. I'm getting a little off track. It's just something yeah. that we've seen a lot, Jordan. And so it's weird that we noticed it. I mean, just like weird how with like Nicolas Cage, where he was always at the beach, he was always doing this, he was always doing that. Peaches came up a couple times. School plays are not really in that many movies. I mean, it's not like rare to see it, but like we've seen so many plays that it's it's crazy. And you're only on number nineteen. <laughs> We're only on number nineteen. Did you guys get any bit of like a? maybe like a love actually kind of vibe from this movie at all in a bit i I, kind of got that sense of this too not like that movie doesn't focus on family quite as much it's not quite as um close-knit family or anything but it still has like the extended bits and things and i think there's a play in that also it's the same setup i haven't seen it so i can't i can't recommend i don't think so i feel like you can't not like it it's charming that's important Anything else about this movie? I mean, we talked about Keanu's role, I think, pretty extensively, pretty comprehensively. Anything else that we wanted to cover? We didn't talk about a lot of the characters, but that's sort of not why we're here. And as Jordan said, we could be here for hours, so we want to break everybody down. Was there anything else that we didn't talk about that you feel like we absolutely have to talk about? You don't have to keep this in, but one of my favorite outfits was in this, and it was Rick Moranis' wife. I guess she was coming back from working out, and she had on what appeared to just be underwear that had suspenders over a unitard. (laughs) Which I had yeah, never yeah, seen I saw that. before, that and as somebody who constantly wears workout gear, I was really excited by something I had never seen before. It was like weirdly sort of erotic. In yeah, I like I would wear that. I thought I thought it looked good. Was it almost kind of like the bathing suit that Borat wore that one year his movie came out? Yeah. That's what it kind of reminded me of. <laughs> it kind of was like that. Who wore it better? The only thing I really have to mention is Keanu's hair because it's such a staple of him, and in this movie, they shave their heads a little bit in this. I was like, oh no, Keanu's hair, there it goes, but it'll grow back. I liked his hair better shaved. I thought it looked really weird and stiff and dirty when it was long in this. I don't think it always looks like that when his hair is long, but in this, I did not like it. 
But yeah, there were certain shots where he like turned around with the long hair where it was sort of like, whoa, like that's sort of aggressive <laughs> haircut. Um, one thing that I've seen from the the stills or actually, you know, I'll, I'll give a little bit of a spoiler. Alert. I watched the sketch for the next episode. We're going to do the Tracy Ullman show. And like the, his hair is sort of noticeably shorter mm-hmm. in that. So I wonder if this was before that. They give sort of like a homegrown or homemade haircut while in the bathroom. They sort of like shave each other's hair and the mom's just like, I have no time. I, I don't have yeah, the energy to deal with this right battles. now. <laughs> right, exactly. So I wonder if they just sort of gave it like a more professional cut to sort of even it out for well, the Tracy Ullman show. But the hair that I picture on Keanu is the Matrix hair. It's sort of normal length, but it's like close cut and cropped. It's not the Bill and Ted hair, even though that's sort of like the hair that he's had most of his roles so far in this in his career. I wonder if his hair that I didn't like in the beginning of the movie was a wig because he does cut his hair later. And if they didn't shoot in order, because it just didn't look beautiful like it usually looks when when he has good hair. But Martha Plimpton does actually have like the, you know, if she held up her hair and it had like the under her head sort of shaved, you know, I don't know what the, like the sides and the back shaved were buzzed because she would wear her hair up a little bit. So I, I don't know if she actually did that on camera, though. Remember Sigourney Weaver and Demi Moore really got a lot of press for shaving their heads on camera. Mm hmm. I have a little bit of trivia, casting trivia. Nothing about Keanu's role that I've seen so far. Jeff Goldblum turned down the roles of both Gil and Larry. So that's the Steve Martin role and then his sort of screw-up brother, the one that's in Gambling Debt. Dan Aykroyd, Michael Keaton, Robin Williams, and Tom Hanks were all considered for the Steve Martin role. The Randy Newman song, which is that the same melody as you got a friend? It's like the same song, 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 right? Every one of his songs, to be honest. Yeah, all his songs are the same song, right? Apparently, he wrote that song, which, according to IMDb trivia, is perhaps his most beloved song. He wrote that with Mary Steenburgen's smile in mind, which is like initially sweet and then like really kind of creepy if you think about it. (laughs) I would have liked to have seen Tom Hanks in this movie. I think he would have pulled it off pretty well. Oh, I have one other thing is that we were sort of on Domino Watch when we were doing Cage Club and watched Looking for Sofia Coppola. Apparently, Bryce Dallas Howard is in this movie, you know, Ron Howard's daughter, and she's an extra in the audience in the child's play. And then she would later star alongside Joaquin Phoenix in The Village later in her career. I don't think that Keanu's ever going to be in another movie with Joaquin, but he's going to be in two movies at least with his brother River. So we've got those coming up. Yep. This is another one, that's another difference, and, like, it's sort of weird, but when I, you know, since I I started doing it in the middle of Cage Club, or, you know, toward the beginning, actually, more of Cage Club, and looking for times when Nicolas Cage is going to work with one of the actors on screen again, or work with the director again, and it seemed like in a lot of his movies, he was Mm -hmm. with the same, there were three or four people in every movie that would pop up again. Here, they're, the only person that's in anything else ever is Allison Porter, who is Taylor. I think she's the girl, like Steve Martin's daughter, who throws up on yeah, him. Yeah, her name I was think. Taylor. She's going to be back in I Love You to Death, which is the next movie, and it's two episodes from now. But she's the only one of all wow. these like huge stars in this movie, these only people like with these storied yeah. Hollywood careers. Nobody ever works with Keanu again except for her, and she's just you know a little kid in this. That's pretty crazy, right? It's weird. Uh, like, I don't, like it doesn't, it's not well, like a good thing or a bad thing. Rick Moranis like, strange. Semi-retired, right, or fully retired. Um, Steve Martin learned banjo, wrote a play, some stuff like that. <laughs> but it is a little weird. Any parting thoughts? I know I've sort of asked this a few times now. <laughs> Are we in good shape? I'm good. Uh, I'm good. All right. Well, Jordan, thank you very much for joining us. You'll be back several months down the road in about 15 movies. 
So thank you very much for joining us for this one of his bigger movies. Oh, this one, just wanted to say real quick, as I mentioned that, $26 million budget made like $126 million overall. So I mean, like very financially successful. So thank you for joining us for one of his most successful early going me. movies. I love this movie. For all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can find out what we've done, what we're doing next, all sorts of fun stuff. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Jordan Polan Clark, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. In a world that's full of trouble, you make it all worthwhile. What would I do if I didn't have you? I love to see you smile. I love to see you smile.